0: So you guys have to think of all the different circumstances that you've been concerned about as women, as conservatives, that you may or may not face or may have faced. Um, And and so what I want to do is give a couple little anecdotes. That's all I'm going to do, and and then open up the discussion. Um, The first one I want to tell you about is, as campaign manager of the Reagan campaign, I must have had 40 people, 45 people working for me. And, And then in subsequent campaigns, I would have Almost as many, maybe not as many, because we started getting computers and things. But um, I noticed a dramatic change, especially, mostly with the women. In fact, entirely with the young women that were working for me in the Reagan campaign. I remember this one gal who didn't have a college education, and she felt very self-conscious. She didn't have. She was as sharp as a tack. She was as smart as they came. And I gave her one promotion after another, and she kept saying, "I don't." I don't know." And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. What I'm asking you to do, you don't know, need a college education for it, And you do it very well. And, and so I, I wanted her to, to feel confident. And I was was surprised she didn't have the kind of confidence she should have had. And one of the reasons is she always thought college education was so important. and She had missed out on that uh, for some variety of reasons. But um, then, years later, I remember in Pat's campaign, I hired a, a couple of gals just graduated from college who said, you know, we have political political science degrees. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, look, I have a job as receptionist here. You know, if something else opens up, we don't answer phones. You know, I don't well, answer phones. And I'm the campaign manager, so I don't know how you get off this duty. And and there was an attitude. And I came to understand that they literally were taught in college, or maybe high school, but in college, that look, you get a degree in college, you get a college degree, and if you want to make certain you're not treated as just a gal Friday, you have got to assert yourself. you got to let them know you don't just do this kind of work. And and it was the most ridiculous position I ever saw. I mean, they can't be receptions. Well, let me tell you about being receptions. You know how many really good receptions, you get there, you're young, you start. You're talking to the senators, the congressmen, the governors you are calling on the phone. You're leaving messages, you're calling the campaign manager, or you're talking to the candidate about messages. You get to know everybody, and in short order, you prove yourself to be extremely reliable, and the next thing you know, the campaign manager needs a personal assistant, and they know you know all the names, they know you, you're personal, you know to get frazzled when things get to be crazy, and you're most willing to do anything, and so guess what, now you're the personal assistant to the campaign manager. That works real well in about three months, four month period. But if you've got this attitude, and I think the best way I can tell it is the sandwich story. I asked this young woman, in the campaign, I was working 13 hour days, just get at, get at the office, all kinds of calls, just working in the office, just trying to keep all the states in control and the candidate, and and I was starved. So I went, first young lady I saw, I said, would you mind getting me a sandwich? And of course I gave her $10 and went to the deli. The attitude, I don't do lunches for people. It's basically what she let me know, that I had really, Well, I just put in my mind, never to ask. I meant no offense, and certainly no offense should be taken, and I just had it. That's it. So the next time I went into the mail room and I saw this young man, the fact that I talked to him, he was thrilled to death. I asked him to get me a sandwich. He did, most willingly. And do you know, every day after that, he'd come by my office, gone down to the deli, want something? Do you know, every time Pat didn't have somebody to pick him up, my brother, I had him airport to pick up the candidate. Anytime there was going to be any kind of promotion, I was looking to give him the benefit of my doubt if he could do it because he was willing. Xerox story. I was a master's degree in mathematics working for Reagan. Reagan, 76. We lost that year against Gerald Ford. Uh, Okay, now I'm in the background as a bookkeeper and I need to do these huge FEC reports for the Federal Election Commission, of course, that have to be sent to 50 states. So you need to Xerox. You first get the report, you get it to balance. It's about this thick. It's every expenditure and receipt you have for the month. And you have to Xerox 50 of them, collate it, and get them out in the mail by a certain time. So I was often working at night, and then I'd want to Xerox them so I could get them all worked out, and then when the staff came in, they could collate the next day. So that Xerox machine and I became very close personal friends because it needed to work. You know, it's 3 in the morning. I need this thing to work. And so I would call the repairman, who was supposed to be 24 hours. Well, no, like, he was not interested in driving downtown D.C. to fix the Xerox machine. And I wouldn't let him off the phone until that machine was working. So he trained me to fix the Xerox machine. He would be just the two of us. He's on the phone. I'm in the office. What do I do now? Pull out this. Pull this lever. Got it. What do I do? Okay. I could make that Xerox machine hum. There's nothing, I didn't know how to fix that thing. Well, that was fine. I didn't know where it was gonna get me. However, one day, the press secretary, I hear them outside my office, this thing won't work, what's going on? I need the press release now. The the conference is in 20 minutes, we need it now. And everybody's foul language, flying, you know. (laughs) And somebody said, the gal in that room, Buchanan, ask her, and they come. Can you fix the job machine? Sure, I can fix it, what do you need? I'll have them to you in a few minutes. got that thing working. I became famous because, and considered extraordinarily competent, not because I had a master's degree in mathematics, but because the Xerox machine and I were close personal friends. (laughs) I'm telling you, people used to just came to me, they'd chat with me, they loved me. They loved me because they knew they could do their job because I could make that machine work, okay? Do everything is my message. Do not have attitude, especially in politics but in every, you're supposed to be part of a team. You're not like, you, I have done all of it. I answer phones. If the phone rings a fourth time in a campaign, somebody's going to hear it from me because I'm picking it up after the third. I don't want phones ringing. That is not an efficient operation, so everybody's involved, all right? Everybody stuffs some seals, that so we gotta get a mailing out. It is who we are, part of this team to get something done. The same is true in the corporate world. That is the attitude you need to go in. Not that you don't do this kind of work. Okay? Now, another one. Another one. Um, Fight for what's important. You're going to get in offices. You're going to be treated. You didn't get what you deserve. You didn't get this. You didn't get that. I had, I was treasurer of the Reagan campaign. National treasurer, all right? I worked seven days a week in the LA offices. There was six or seven consultants. They all, men, had offices with windows all the way down the corridor. I had an inside office. They were empty all week long. Thursday, we had meetings. Everybody come from around the country, come to our meetings Thursday, Friday, all right? The rest of the five days, all of them were empty. I'm in an inside office. I had the secretary, the assistant to the campaign manager say to me, you are the highest ranking woman in this campaign. You deserve a window office. You, This is ridiculous. They're all empty for gosh sakes. You need to fight for a window office. And I used to, you know, I was working all the time. Huh, I do? Okay. And then I I, I started to ask somebody you know, and I won't mention a famous person, and said, maybe I should have a window office. Could we, you know, what do you think? Well, you can use mine when I'm not here. He couldn't manage to not have one of the window offices because it would look like he wasn't equal to the other male consultants, because that's mindset. We all have to have it. If I have the inside one, I don't look quite level. And, and so I was going to borrow his office. What kind of nonsense is that? I'm going to run in and out? And so I just said, forget it. Well, I called my brother Pat and I said, Pat, <clears throat> also they had meetings on Thursday I was not invited to. And so they said, you need to be invited to this meeting. This is ridiculous. They're not, they're not treating that top woman correctly. And so I called my brother Pat, who had been to the next administration, and I said, Pat, what do you think? I'm like, he said, okay, I know exactly you got to pick your fights, man. I remember a guy, another person many of you will know, maybe not, but certainly a well-known man. <coughs> when he came into the Nixon White House, he said he measured the offices to see if his was bigger than the others. He wanted to make certain he had the largest office, for maybe he wasn't chief of staff, so maybe he should have the second or third, but he can't have the fourth or fifth because he's hired. Is that what you want to remember about Or want to go to a meeting? <clears throat> he said, this is what I do. You're treasurer of the campaign. You know all the finances. Yes, he said, can they do anything without the information from you? Can they do anything without the financial data? I said, no. He said, well, let them have their own meeting. Let them have all kinds of discussion about what they're gonna do next. But they can't do anything unless they come down the hall and talk to you. You hold on to the information. Do not give them anything that they could make decisions without you. So one guy said, can you give us a financial statement to take with you? That financial statement was about four lines long. It did not have enough. So they'd have their big meetings. Down comes the pollster Dick Worthlin, Ben. They've approved this. Do you have the money for this? How are we going to do this? Next guy come down, look, it all come down to me because I knew the numbers, all right? I didn't fight for the meeting, I didn't fight for the window office. And his point is one I've never forgotten. Pick your fights. If your boss isn't treating you right, you don't like him saying this, he's asking you to wear this kind of skirt or that kind of skirt, completely ridiculous, do not pick that fight. When it comes time to pick a fight, You pick one that makes a difference for you. And that goes on to my next story. When I was treasurer of the campaign the second time, I was a national treasurer for it. In 80, we won. And I had to have a heart operation right after the election. I was able to postpone it until the election was over. And then transition occurs and all these guys come to D.C. and they decide who's going to be assistant secretary of this, assistant secretary of that, who's going into energy, where all these people are going, okay? And a lot of people are not part of the campaign who are lining up to get jobs and they say, well, you know, they somehow figure out a way because they befriend different people. And obviously there's a group of campaign people trying to take care of campaign people. One advanced man was in a good position over at the transition committee. He knew I was headed into a hospital. I was not going to be around in November and December and uh, probably just coming out of recovery in January. And then the president would, of course, he'd become president on the 20th. And he said, Bae, he called me on the phone. He said, Bae, I know you're going to the hospital. We need to take care of you. Tell me now what's your first job you want, what's the second, what's the third, what, what is you want, what are you looking for? So we can make certain you get one of these jobs while you're in the hospital. Someone else doesn't move ahead of you. And I said, he said, one, two, and three. What do you want? One, Treasury United States. Two, Treasury United States. Three, Treasury United States. And he said, Babe, this isn't funny. He said, If you don't give me a second one, you can end up with nothing when you come out, and most good jobs will be taken. And I said, Yes. And if I give you a second or a third, I'll let get it first. And I have every, I expect. Be made treasurer Tre- United States. I am qualified. I have been with this man five years. I was his treasurer in the primaries and in the general elections. Now I'm going to be his treasurer as president of the United States. See, that's how it works. And nobody is going to step in front of me. So, you remember treasurer United States. And he, I became treasurer United States. Now, I would not have if I didn't do that. Now, get notice. I was qualified. And I had the experience, and people knew me. I had a right to that position. I knew I had a right to that position. And George Bush told them, there's 13 people, 12 or 13 people. I want to get what they want. Other than that, Reagan people get, obviously, first choice. But I've got 13 I want to take care of. One of them wanted to be Treasury United States. She was from Iowa. She had won Iowa for him. So I got out of the hospital, and they said, babe, right now it's between you and this gal, Bush person. I said, a Bush person? That's not happening. So I showed up and talked to Ed Meese and and, uh, Bill Casey, and I said, I want to see the president-elect. I want to make certain this thing's locked in. And Ed Meese said, I'll talk to him personally, and the next day I was told I would be charge of the United States. I fought. First, I identified what I wanted, and then I fought for it. That was worth fighting for, all right? That's what you have to do. Don't sit in your office. Know you're the best. Know that you're really working well. Know that there's an opening coming up, and wait for somebody to call you. That's not going to happen, all right? You decide what you want, what you know, make certain you're not overreaching, you're qualified for it, and then you make your move to make certain people know you want this job, and you're going to be very disappointed if you don't get it. They know you're good, they don't want to lose you, you very likely will get the job. Say nothing, they're going to say, we didn't know, we just didn't know, okay? All right, one last story, Michelle, and then tell me if I missed any. You all, young ladies, getting some great degrees, and many of you will probably go in for graduate degrees and wondering, how are you going to balance? I was a single mom, three boys. When the youngest was born, I was already single, so I had uh, two and a half children under the age of four. Um, and so how do you balance all this? How do you balance? It, it, it is a personal thing. It's all going to, you know, everybody's different. It's not, you can't ever judge one person over another. Everybody's different. Um, Michelle, she was not a single mom. She worked, though. She worked, and it um, and obviously worked out very well for her. Um, I had to work, but I'll tell you a little secret. I'm going to work anyhow. Um, I think my daughter in laws is supposed to stay-at-home moms. I think it's fabulous. I just think it's absolutely fabulous. All right? So that being said, how do you do it? My sister-in-law, Teresa, met my brother when they were taking the bar exam. And she goes on, she always wanted to be a partner at law firm. So she gets into the small law firm and she's climbing her way up. She's working crazy. And um, and she becomes a partner. Well, just by the time she became a partner, she also became pregnant. And and so she has a little baby at home now, and she's a partner. And she's built incredibly, she's extremely competent and hard-working woman. Well, now she wants to be home at six. She wants that the baby goes to bed at seven or whatever. She wants to see him, okay? <coughs> so She's at home and thinking, oh, I'm not billing the hours that the other partners are billing. And at the partner meetings, they're saying, hey, where are your hours? Your hours aren't up to where they should be. Now she's mad. All that she has done, she thinks for them. She has babies at home, a baby at home. This is her whole day. All day long, uptight about the baby at home. When she's home, uptight about not putting in the hours. So finally, my brother said, look, you always wanted to be a partner. Now you're a partner. Okay, let's forget that. Go into government. He used to be uh, assistant U.S. attorney. Let me call my friends over there. Become assistant U.S. attorney. You're an attorney. You got great legal experience over there, right? It's nine to five. It's government work, and usually the the, the courts are dark on Fridays, or at least Friday afternoon, I think, if not all Friday. And so it's very easy Fridays. This is so now she's an attorney with the U.S. Attorney's Office, and everybody's leaving at 5.30, aren't they? Five or six. And sure, once in a while you have to work late hours, but she can take off an afternoon and go go see the kids at the play. I mean, she was a U.S. Attorney and later, which was her other goal, became a judge. She's now a judge. It was a beautiful path as a professional woman. Rather than fighting it and working long hours and not being home with your kids and never being happy moment, she decided there's another way to go. That's what I ask all of you to think. Not to say, I'm a doctor. I'm learning to practice. I do have to work these long hours. and I can't possibly have a family. I had a friend who, who was a, a woman, and she was a pediatrician. She sold her practice, and she started working emergency room. So she was home with the kids. When her husband came home. She'd work in an emergency room four nights a week, kept her hand in it. And uh, it was great. There can be no, no better experience. You get everything in an emergency room. It was wonderful for everybody. There are different ways. Do never hesitate to pursue the highest education you can get. And just keep your minds open to doing various different ways of approaching your career. And and certainly, always, always put the family uh, first. You will never, ever regret that. Never regret that. And with that, I'll ask Michelle, did I overlook any of her great stories? And I'm in good shape to take questions. Okay, let's go with questions. I promise I'm going to leave early enough so you can eat. I promise. <laughs> Anyone have questions? And ask me anything. This you can see is kind of an informal. Right what do you on, do? Right here. Right here. Right here, and then we'll do over here. Yes. Um, so I grew up from to college, and
1: this is a uh, very prevalent issue: women in the workforce and things like that. But um, women in the workforce? Yeah, like getting over fifty percent. <laughs> right. Well, there seems to be like a really. Um... First of all, my name's Lizzie. Sorry.
0: That'd be good. He's
1: glad you told. And there seems to be this really large push to like women in the workforce focus more on working and you know showing men that women can be anything. And I'm all for that. But um, I've been forced to think like more and more about where men are in the family, opposed to like where women are in the workforce. What are your thoughts on like fathers taking paternal leave and things along those lines? Um, redefining generals instead of focusing more on like pushing women into positions because we need to get into this fight with men rather than empowering men to take on more of a leadership role in the family
0: um I, i've got to say that the feminists have lost okay this, this, you, you know you know their, their whole impetus, and it was a, when they first got started they, they went down some very destructive roads but one area where they fought to see that women were allowed into the universities and then into graduate school and then into the hospitals and the doctor offices and law office. They're very successful and, and it was very beneficial to women, alright? But to suggest that women need to prove themselves, to prove themselves to men today is a completely ridiculous statement. Just be yourself and do a good job. I mean, we don't need to prove anything. For heaven's sakes, we're enormously well um, established as, as qualified people, okay? So they're, they're being defensive. I didn't go around trying to prove myself, I'm a woman, I can do it as well as you. I I needed that guy. He's my assistant. He absolutely works for me actually, you know? So I want to befriend him and we work as a team, you know? That's the mentality. Um, So, and then there's a real push that there's not enough top executives as women. Well, this is what they will not appreciate. Women are different from men. They can say whatever they want. Women are different By very nature, by our very nature, no matter how educated we are, uh, my husband once said to me, "We're not risk takers." Okay, my husband once said, "Look at people who make money in, in uh, the stock market. They've analyzed it. Overwhelmingly, the people that make most of the money in the stock market are men. Women are in this nice, safe, cushiony little vessel." And that was me. I kept saying, "Whatever you do, don't risk my money. Just don't risk it." You know, I'm not a gay, You know, now it is our nature to be more want more security. That's what we want, okay? We like jobs that pay regularly, and we also love to nurture. It brings out the best in us. So we become nurses. We become teachers. Overwhelmingly, teachers are women. Now, that's not necessarily has to be, but that's what we do. And so when they say you should be an executive, why should we take a path that we do not wish to do? We don't want all the pressure. We have pressure at home with kids. We don't want the added pressure. We'd much rather have a part-time job. and and advising somebody. You know what I mean? So this is what I say to them. Let us be who we are. If you pursue and you want to be the CEO of a major corporation, go for it. Go for it. Absolutely. But on the path, tell yourself, hey, i got another option here. Would that be better for me? Don't force yourself to do something because other people think you should do it. Do what's in your heart. And as for men taking a lead in their family, of course. That has to be a complete partnership. But it has to be at the same time when you say uh, men taking time off. Absolutely, if the men can take off three months or two months, what are both people doing? What kind of jobs are you doing? You know, I mean, if he's just starting his own firm and he's just getting it started and, and he's working, you know, long hours, taking three months off might not be the best course for the family. It depends on your relationship in that family. And then the two of you decide. It's best. It may be best for him to take three months and use to keep working. But I'll tell you, you'll regret it. nothing better than a new baby. Nothing better. Once you spend a couple weeks with that new baby, you don't want anyone else doing that. I, uh, my, my daughter-in-law had uh, the first grandchild. I went I, I thought I was just not. I was going to do dishes and, and uh, clean the house because she wasn't about to, to let me touch the job. I said she ought to child the job. I finally said, can I least hold her? <laughs> because she's wants to have that child all the time, so there's lots of great things in your future. Keep your minds open to what's best for you, and don't let other people try to tell you. And, and ask for what you say to them. Fathers and mothers should have equal responsibility in the family, and to decide themselves how that should fall out and how that should be done. And not it's, there's nothing uh, um, defensive about it. Be very aggressive, you know. One woman works full-time, hey, I give her my hats off. Daughter-in-law stays at home full-time, hats off. Two different personalities, okay? Support each other. Next question, I'm sorry, I spent too much. I'll be trying to be faster. Very good question. Hi, okay.
1: my name is Paige Burns, and I am working on a, a congressional campaign out in California. Um, my question is, and I've been re- re-read recently your book, The Extreme Makeover of Hillary Clinton, and one thing that had me thinking was that a lot of her uh, initial policies, health care, gay rights, you know, have already been accomplished by uh, this administration. And I'm kind of curious to, to hear your thoughts on how you feel like she's going to define herself if know, she gets the, the nomination for the, for the Democratic Party.
0: Well, she's redefining herself for about the fourth time now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hillary's enormously vulnerable. And, and everybody says, oh, Paul's she is enormously vulnerable. And the reason is she's never done anything on her own. She's not done anything. They say "Well, was just Secretary of State. I love Carly's comment. And they said, you know, traveling isn't an accomplishment. It's an activity. Because she says, I've been to four, you know, 103 state, countries. Well, that's not an accomplishment. You know, I can do that, get on a plane and just spend the next couple months just traveling. You know what I mean? She does not offer anything, to be quite honest. Uh, to this country, nothing. Um, she failed in her effort for health care, totally. She failed, someone else accomplished that, um, unfortunately. And, and, and what did she do? I mean, as a woman, I am outraged uh, when she took it upon herself to, to uh, in an effort to keep her husband alive, the, the way she treated other people, especially women. I mean, just it, was, it is criminal, the behavior that has taken place at that woman's hands. So um, what is she gonna define herself as, as, as the person that can win? the person that can beat the Republicans, and that's something that people will listen to, the one that can win. Uh, Democratic supporters will keep pouring money in because they think she's going to be the nominee and very likely president. Um, and uh, she's had two or three positions on the war, so how she going to land on that, I don't know. So, But she will just redefine herself. She won't talk about all the scandals that are flowing all around her now. And, and she'll say, oh, they're all after me and make herself a victim. And her game plan is to women. She will not win the men vote. She'll get a certain level of Democrats, men, but they will be, we'll be able to pull a lot of them off her. Uh, she, her whole appeal is for women. It's this is a women's chance, women's opportunity, first woman president, it's all about women. That's where she's going, uh, and, and whatever the polls say, she'll take positions accordingly, but uh, she doesn't represent anything that's of any any meat. She represents herself and her, and her family in wanting to be back in power. Yes? My name is Ally and I go to Southwestern University. My question
1: for you is, um, if Miss Clinton does get elected in twenty sixteen, what do you see? How do you see the feminist movement going? And what do you see as her? What
0: do you see the future um, if she does get elected? Um, It's bleak. Uh, it's very bleak. I mean, quite honestly, if Hillary were to be elected, um, uh, um, you know, you'll see a continuation of much of the policy. You'll, you'll see a complete um, dismissal of um, uh, of, the, of the responsibility of Congress. She'll try to get things through, but it'll be a Republican Congress, so she'll, she would not hesitate to use executive orders and to do what she wants, especially for women. I think it'll be very divided, just like this country's been divided racially, as a result of Obama's policy and, and his statements, I think the country will become extremely divided uh, with respect to gender. Uh, as for the feminist movement, I think she will try to promote it, but she will try to do it in such an extreme manner that I think there'll be a real reaction against it. Um, and uh, you know, she'll pour money into Planned Parenthood to the extent she can. But I think you know, there, there, there. Uh, hopefully, um, real damage has been done and they have been exposed, some really great young people have exposed Planned Parenthood like I never thought could be done. Brave, courageous people, uh, young people, real leaders. Um, so that kind of tells you an idea. I think this country will be extremely divided and, and there'll be all kinds of discontent. On the issues that are in the forefront right now, jobs, immigration, cultural issues, all will just get worse. It'll just get worse. This country will be very difficult to turn, turn back around, even now it is worse. Yes. Hi, my is Katie, and I'm from Rutgers University in Jersey. Um, okay. I'm just curious on your take on Carly Fiorina and her campaign and her take on modern feminists and the conservative role in that. Um, I, I haven't followed Carly, and Carly as close as I'd like to, but I love her. Um, I, I like, I, well. What her whole campaign has been, I haven't seen much now, but initially was, is to take on Hillary. Just go right after Hillary. Every step of the way. I would pick her as a vice presidential candidate, as long as her policies were closely aligned with mine if I were a candidate. Uh, Simply because, you know, that way I don't have to. Just let the women fight it out, you know, and and see what happens. (laughs) You see what I mean? Just bring Hillary down to having to to respond to a vice presidential candidate. That way you can be up here and just... um, She's quick. Very quick-witted, um, and she's smart and she's tough. Uh, and uh, you know, a lot of people will say she wasn't successful in business. I don't know. She got to the top. She had to be so much successful to get where she was. Um, and and so I like I like the fact that she's not in politics, and that she's a Republican and she's a woman and and that she's I, when she speaks. I feel that she speaks with great um, boldness and confidence, and I like that in a candidate instead of well. Um, you know she just boom and, and this is good this is really good for our party and i hope she gets in the debates and i hope she holds her own and i hope she's final four.
1: hi my name is lisa i'm from robert university in utah and thank you so much for coming You're to certainly oh, loved every time. Um, my question for you is obviously you know with this kind of group there's quite a few of us who at some point in our lives would like to run for office Coming from you, do you feel like there are prerequisites to um, that we should possibly aspire towards? If we're running for public office and what would those be? How should we prepare ourselves best?
0: All right, that's an excellent question. Um, and, and I tell this whether you're, I, first of all, I think it's wonderful women run for office, absolutely fabulous. Uh, there was a time, and I'm not sure if it's still the case after Hillary's been in our presence for so long, but there was a time when if you had a male and a female candidate and everything pretty much equal, uh, the woman won because people trust women over the men. But now that we've had Hillary out there, I don't know they might not trust <laughs> men as much. <laughs> um, but, um, so, but this is what I would tell you right now, because because and I'm going to assume that you all have strong beliefs, strong beliefs. Okay, if you make it a point of just wanting to run for office, you could get yourself in a position. for, for instance, you, you let's say you're. Um, let me put it this way. You need to do something else first. You need to know something about business or law or, or justice, or world of justice, you know, whatever it is, teaching, you have to do something else because for one reason to take care of yourself. If you became a congressman at age 28, congresswoman, and you lasted until, for six years, and then you're running for office, and you lose, what are you gonna do? You now may have a family. You, you you're, you're 32 years old. You got to find a. if you're an attorney, you go to a law firm, check out the situation, get back, make some more money, and then decide you want to run again. If you're a doctor, go back, become a doctor. You know. And, but if you've just been an aide to congressman and then a congressman, you don't have anything to fall back on. This has been my experience. I have seen individuals who are assistants congressman. And that's what they did for years. They did nothing else, okay? And the guy goes to be senator. He does it. He finally makes a huge mistake. He fails. And the guy is 32 years old, has a family, and has no viable income. No place to go. He ends up working for somebody he doesn't believe in. He ends up working for the guy that won, who he does not believe in. He just becomes someone who just works for people. It's no longer a cause. I'm a cause person. I once worked for somebody who beat my candidate because they wanted me to be conservatives on board. It was the worst experience I ever had. I had to call conservatives, to say, vote for a guy that I didn't want to vote for myself. I had to take the job. And I just, it was the worst thing. And I told myself, never again. And so what I tell you is, always think, if you want to get and run for office, go for it. Have something to offer to people. Don't just say, I'm, I'm an attractive woman. I, I have great ideas. Well, You've been a teacher for 10 years, you've been working with young kids, you know exactly what's going on with these <coughs> families. And I want to do X, Y, and Z because this is wrong, this whole policy is wrong. People love teachers. Or you want to be an attorney, or you want to work for uh, in law enforcement. People love law enforcement. You have a story to tell. Okay? And you're more meaningful. You're more, you're more weight. Generally men have a story to tell. You women have to do the same. You have to have a story to tell. About why you? Why you over this guy? Okay? And so, Get something so that you know you have a fallback position at all times. You're never at the mercy of someone with whom you don't want to support. You could be an excellent aide, an excellent campaign manager. You don't want to work for someone who doesn't share your values. But what are you going to do? And once you do, your soul your soul just gets chipped away. So that is my advice to every one of you. Don't ever not look at being elected office. Don't ever. Learn as much as you can, get involved in it, but in your own life, have a story to tell before you run for office. Why are you running? And it has to come from the heart if you want us to believe you. And it comes from the heart if you're speaking from your own experiences. It could be that you took care of your mother and she went through some terrible times and you had to work with different homes and what a terrible exposure. And you're gonna fight for the rights of the elderly. Okay, I'm with you now, you know. I, I can I can relate to you. But have a story. And with that Michelle, you have anything you want to finish with? You want them to have lunch and then you finish? Because I am going to run. Thank you all very, very much. than yourself. It defines who you are which is much greater than anything you can do on your own. It's the cause. It's what it's all about. And mine is, it's a bit, bit more pedantic. Don't expect anything to be easy. Maybe that comes from being a little child, you know? Nobody wants to listen to you. You got the older, you got the younger, I'm the middle girl. If you don't expect it to be easy, you expect it to have to work really hard at whatever you're doing, whether it's at home or at work or whatever, you are going to have a happier life. Because every so often, something is easy, and then it's a wonderful thing. But most things that are worth doing, that you care about, are hard. So don't expect to And it's the lessons you learn, and it's the growth you receive when it's hard. That's what's key, and that's what it's all about. You work your head off, you fail, you get back up, you work some more, and all of a sudden, you have great insight into other people. That's when you start communicating with the heart. That's who you are, you're developing as a person. And that's what's the most important thing, is that you become, Become the person you're meant to be. Thank you all very much. I